We're now going to have our reading from Luke chapter 1. Starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the truth of those words, that you've chosen the weak, and that because you overshadow us with your spirit, we become strong. And we bless you for the truth of that. We pray that you will help us in the ministry that we have, wherever we are, during the week, that we may know that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, now as we look at your word together that you will enlighten us and instruct us and encourage us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very much relying on the fact that God has chosen the weak things because yesterday I spent the day in bed and I lost my voice and uh, it's still feeling a bit weak today. So I hope uh, I'll be able to to uh, carry on through this message. We've only got an hour, so it will be all right. Uh, and I told David that uh, if I got stuck, then he'll, he'll take over. <clears throat> there are many prophecies in the Old Testament about the events that Luke speaks about in this passage. And I want to highlight this morning uh, the way that God plans and perfects and protects his promise despite many obstacles despite the weakness of human nature this plan was fulfilled and that's important to note because God has plans for all of us there are times for all of us when God makes promises to us and it could be that you feel that God hasn't been true to his word for you that the promises that he's made to you have not yet come true 
But he never breaks his promise. And uh, I hope you noticed that statement that the angel Gabriel said to Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. I knew a lady who prayed for her son to come to faith for 50 years. And uh, she never saw the answer to that prayer. But she knew that God had promised it. And when I took her funeral, uh, her son came up to me afterwards and said, um, thank you for taking the funeral. And we got talking about a number of things. And I said to him, you know your mum prayed for you for over 50 years. And she said, yes. He said, yes, I do know that. She told me often. Uh, And uh, so I said, so what is stopping you? And he looked at me and he said, well, I don't know really. I said, well, why don't we go over there and let's pray now? All right, he said. And so we prayed there and then and he came to faith in Jesus. And uh, her promise had been fulfilled. Though she never saw it, it never failed. By way of background to this passage, if we were to look at the genealogy of Jesus, as Luke records it in chapter 4, we would see that it ends with two great messianic prophecies, that Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of Adam, and he's the son of David. In other words, he's the son of man, he's fully human, and he's fully God. And Matthew's genealogy tells us that he's the son of David, and the son of Abraham. And there are over 330 prophecies in the Old Testament about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, all of which came true uh, in absolute perfection. And some of them fulfilled by his enemies. And many link that coming Messiah with King David. However, at the time of Jesus, there were a few descendants of King David still alive. And any one of them could have claimed to be the Messiah. So right there are some obstacles, right there are some complications. How is God going to make this clear? And this is what this passage that we're looking at here in Luke 1 addresses. As the history of Israel progressed, the kingdom of Israel was divided for the Messiah to reign over all Israel. There were two distinct requirements to reign in the south, in Judea, where Jerusalem was the capital, then he had to be a a son of David. And we've already seen that he is a son of David. That was never in dispute. But the requirements of the northern kingdom, where Samaria was the capital, were very different. There had to be ample evidence of divine appointment, of divine anointing, something really special had to happen. So how did God demonstrate that divine appointment? Well, there was a miraculous birth. The virgin birth was the fulfillment of a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah made 900 years before Jesus was born. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me, Luke is the only gospel writer to fully record the virgin birth. And that's significant because Luke was a doctor and he was a well-known, respected historian as well as a doctor. And uh, you will know that in some plants and animals, the female egg, the ovum, 
divides spontaneously without fertilization and it produces an identical being. It's known as parthenogenesis. There's always been a fascination as to whether that could happen in human beings. In the 1950s, a geneticist by the name of Helen Sperling learned of a woman woman by the name of Emma Marie Jones who claimed that her daughter had been born without a father. Sperling was curious as to whether this so-called human birth was possible in humans, but there was no real way to test it in the 1950s. So let's look at the uniqueness of this virgin birth. In the angel's conversation to Mary, we see the theme of messianic prophecy by the angel in verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will rule over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He will be great. That's straight out of Isaiah chapter 9. Mighty God. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. An indication that enormous power is going to follow this ministry. And as we know from the Gospel, when Jesus grew, there were many examples of that miraculous work. The healings, feeding of the 5,000, changing water into wine, and so on. He will be the Son of God Most High. Psalm 2 tells us that the Messiah, when he comes, will be the Son of God. And he will be an eternal king, sitting on the throne of David. And this is the moment that Mary poses this question about her virginity. How can that be, she says, since I am a virgin? It's interesting that Mary seems to to be ready to believe that she might give birth to to the Messiah. But the fact that she would do it while she is still a virgin seems beyond her comprehension. But her attitude is one of humility and she's open And so the angel Gabriel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And that word therefore is very important there because it shows that divine sonship depends on that virgin birth. Jesus can be called the Son of God, Son of the Most High, precisely because he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we continue to read the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, we see God's divine intervention, the divine appointment, if you like, again and again. The proof of Mary's impending miraculous birth is that her cousin Elizabeth, who was, already, or who was barren, was already six months pregnant. The enforced move of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem from Nazareth by Herod's decree, his enemy, fulfilled Micah's prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem. The fact that wise men travelled at least 600 miles following a star that took them to the very place in Bethlehem where he was born. The fact that Joseph was warned in a dream to escape Bethlehem because of the 
impending slaughter of every male child under two and they went down to Egypt which was also prophesied in the Old Testament and at every turn it is clear that God's hand was on this child now we're told that Mary was highly favoured she had a unique work to do Yet there's little mention of Mary after the resurrection. I don't know if you've noticed that. Mary only appears once in the rest of the New Testament in Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2. She's mentioned there. And one reason for that is that the teaching of the New Testament tells us that we are all special. We are all favoured. We all have a unique ministry. The New Testament sees no distinction between clergy and laity. There are no professional Christians. We're all in the ministry because we're all called to minister, working with God to extend his kingdom. And it's in that context that Jesus answers those who are looking for him, saying to him, Uh, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Do you remember how Jesus responds to that? He says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. God implants within us a divinely inspired ministry And the response that the Father is looking from us is exactly the response that he was looking for from Mary. J.B. Phillips translates her response like this, I belong to the Lord, body and soul. Let it happen as you say. Now, biblical scholars all agree that Mary was a young girl, perhaps a teenager. Some even suggest she was as young as 11 or 12 And what she expresses here is a simple, childlike faith which enables the Lord to work in her and do what he pleases. And when the Lord calls us to serve him, there are a lot of unknowns. What will he require of me? Where will he take me? How much time is it going to involve? And there are all sorts of fears and concerns as well. Am I able? Will I make a mess of it? What sword will pierce my heart? So a simple childlike faith can be easily jeopardized. Let's not allow anything to minimize the commitment that we've given to the Lord as he is Lord of our lives. Now notice Mary didn't approach God and offer her womb. God required from his favored servant her womb and her motherhood. And he will require something different from each one of us here this morning. God chooses who he wills, what he wills, where he wills, when he wills. And it's never, ever forced on us. Never forced. Mary could have said, no. Serving God is a lifetime service. Mary was not merely asked for her womb for nine months. After Jesus was born, she had to raise him. Ministry never stops. And God is not looking for people who will try the ministry for a little while. No, wherever he's placed you, whatever he's asking you to do, in your business, in your home, 
amongst your neighbours, in your clubs and societies that you belong to. Do it with total commitment and look for that overshadowing power of God to enable you to do it. One final point. (coughs) There are always things in our obedience to God that are hard. As soon as Mary was pregnant, there were challenges. And one is mentioned in this passage, but we could easily miss it. Jewish law concerning a woman who was pregnant outside marriage was death by stoning. And to demonstrate to you how risky Mary's obedience was, let me explain that Mary is encouraged to visit her cousin Elizabeth because she was known to be barren, but God had already performed a miracle in her life too. She was already pregnant. But Elizabeth's husband was Zechariah and Zechariah was the high priest for that year and it was the high priest who had the responsibility to examine women who were said to be pregnant outside of marriage or that he would witness that examination and it was the high priest who would cast the first stone for any woman that was found pregnant outside marriage So do you see how risky that was? The angel told her to go to Elizabeth when her husband was the very one who would cast the first stone. So God clearly was going to protect her through that. And therefore, for Mary and also for us in our ministry, we must hold on to those words of the angel. No word from God will ever fail. Amen.